Hello, everybody. Welcome into Courtside Convo, the last one of the semester, last one of my career. Um, I'm Liam Jackson. I'm your host. Uh, we got a full house tonight, and we have a uh, a very fun show, very different show, something we haven't done before. Um, but first, to my left, I got AJ. In the middle, we got Jack. To the right, I got Josh. And we got not new, but new <laughs> this year. We got Mani Patel. He's, uh, is this, were you on it? You were last on it last year, year for sure, but you were on it, were you on it the year before too? Uh, or, I did no? a couple towards the end of second semester. So this is with Bobby. Part of yeah, yeah. So this is part of your third year. So yeah. you're a veteran. Um, it's good to have you back. Glad that you can make it. I know you've been busy. Glad I um, could be on. Yeah, of course. Uh, so what we got? We've t- we've kind of uh, we've kind of teased this um, this episode for I don't know maybe a month at this point now. Um, finals are in the. Well, our final, where are finals for you guys? I feel like I just, I'm just gonna keep pushing, keep <laughs> pushing back the announcement of what we're doing. But where, where are you guys at in finals, real quick? I'm done with all my projects, thankfully. I have to finish up a take home final after this, and then I'm done. I finished up yesterday, so I'm good. We done. Great. Yeah, I got one more paper, but finals are basically in the rear view here for this uh, fall semester. It's been a great semester, but. All right, finally, we are going to go through our, our rookie report through the first quarter, third of the season, of the NBA season, first semester for um, us. So each of us picked one lottery pick, uh, one first-round non-lottery pick, and one second-round or undrafted player. I think we all picked drafted players, so one second-round player. Uh, we're going to give – each of us did a little deep dive on them, looked at their stats, um, watched some of their – watch some of their highlights uh so we get some pros and cons um and we're yeah we're just gonna rattle them off give you guys updates about some some rookies if you don't have league pass you may not have seen yet um so that's what we're gonna do today is anybody that wants to start off we'll just go that way no all right i'll start off then no problem all right my my lottery pick uh is no other than keegan murray um the 22 year old Six foot eight forward from Iowa. He was the fourth pick in the NBA draft um, to the Sacramento Kings. I I was talking before the show. I went pretty deep in um in uh, on cleaning the gla- on cleaning the glass. So I have a lot of analytics um, that I went off of. So I'm going to I'm going to try to describe what I'm talking about. I'm sure that these guys know what I'm talking about, but for my mom listening, I'll try to describe what I'm talking about. Uh, so. Uh, according to Cleaning the Glass, he's played 89% of his uh, minutes at power forward and 11 at the small forward, so he's basically a power forward. Um, but he's played a little bit at the three. Um, his counting stats, he's averaging 11.6, four rebounds, and less than one assist. Um, coming out of college, he was um, he kind of was a, a, a su- big surprise at the beginning of the year in Iowa, and he was just lighting it up. He was putting up crazy numbers scoring. Great in transition, um, pretty sneakily athletic, had some bounce. Uh, so in the NBA, the, some of the pros I have listed here, he's um, he's shooting 36% from three, which isn't amazing, but it's not horrible. And he's part of one of the best offenses in the in the league this year. Um, Sacramento's de- d- defensively, their defense is 4.4 points um, per 100 possessions better with Keegan on the floor. Um, and he's playing with, uh, with guys who are – Pretty offensive minded, like I said, they're a pretty offensive team. But he's he's averaging just under one block and one steal, and I he 
just from the eye test, he offensively and defensively is always in the right spot, it seems. Um, great in transition. He was the best transition player statistically in college basketball last season. He's in the 88th percentile for transition points per 100 possessions um, per cleaning the glass. So he's uh, – this. these are all for forwards, by the way, when I talk about the percentiles. That, that's how it, it varies. It's not uh, – the whole, the whole NBA just goes by position group. Um Productive player with a lead guard. So when he's playing with, um, when he's playing in lineups where he's playing with um, De'Aaron Fox, these uh, those lineups have um, more than likely a positive point differential. I think only like two or three lineup combinations with Keegan and Fox don't. But those those each are like only have played 15 possessions together. We'll get to the cons. Um, the self creation is kind of a real con with him, but that was kind of known, and he hasn't really been asked to do that because of playing with Demonis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox, but he's in the 22nd percentile for assisted rate among forwards, which means that um, 88% of his baskets come um, off of assists. He's not creating on his own very often. Um, He's not drawing. He's one of the worst forwards in the NBA of drawing um, uh, floor fouls, so drawing reaches and things like that. So that's kind of a stat you can look at and see someone isn't really creating much space. Uh, players in that range are Reggie Bullock, Joe Harris, and Torrey Craig, so guys that don't dribble the ball. That's kind of where the group he's in. And surprisingly, and I, this could just be, this might not be um, anything, this, this this could just be noise, I guess, statistically, but their offense is 3.8 points per 100 possessions worse when Keegan's on the floor, which I thought was surprising. So I added that as a con, something to watch, because I don't think that he's a negative offensive player, but... Um, We'll see. Maybe that maybe that deserves a deeper dive. So that's Keegan Murray, and I think that he's going to be a, a very good player in the NBA for a long time. He just seems to be in the right spot at the right time. He's a good shooter, um, good defender, does everything pretty well. So I, And I think that that was a, a very safe pick by the Kings, and he's um, helped them make this playoff push. Yeah, I, I like that uh, Murray gets to benefit from playing with Harrison Barnes too. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good pairing for him as like a veteran mentor because I'm not saying they're like carbon copy. I see a little bit of like what Barnes can do with Murray. No, I, I agree. They're yeah. both productive wings, good shooters. Um, Steady, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And they can play off guards like Fox and centers like Sabonis. So I, I, I like that comp. Yeah, I really like one thing that I thought about a lot with Murray when he was coming out this year was for whatever reason, he kind of reminded me of. Ray Allen coming out in 96 not in the way he played but just in the fact that he was a guy who spent some extra time in school and you knew that wherever he ended up he was gonna at the very least be a very solid player um that was sort of the consensus coming out about Ray Allen in that historic 96 96 draft but yeah I I knew Murray wherever he ended up was going to be like I said at the very least solid but I, I think Sacramento is a match made in heaven for him as a Pistons fan, when I found out, you know, we got the fifth pick and we were outside the the range to get one of the top three guys in the draft, I was really excited about potentially getting Keegan Murray. You know, we're very satisfied with Jaden Ivey, but I liked him. I saw to Murray at Iowa. I wanted them to make a deeper tournament run and all that. So he's a cool guy. I'm glad to, you know, see him succeed. Uh, he's a real quiet dude. So just and, hoping the best for him. And his brother seems like he's not going to be drafted as high, but his brother Chris Murray at Iowa um, looking like he's going to make – a similar type jump and going to be an NBA player himself. So, yeah, that'll be fun. If you wanted to watch what Keegan looked like in college, you'll get a, a light version of it in Chris Murray if you want to watch Iowa. All right. AJ, who who did you cover for uh, your uh, 
lottery player, and what do you got for us? Yeah, so for my lottery pick, I had the first overall pick uh, this past year's draft, Paolo Banquero. Um, he went to Duke, spent one season there. He was phenomenal, had a great season. And this year in 22 games, uh, he's averaging 21.7 points, 6.9 rebounds, and uh, just under four assists per game. I'd say the biggest thing that I've really liked about him so far is that Orlando has put the ball in his hands. I've talked about it before, but I think at Duke, he showed a lot of flashes of being a great creator out of the pick and roll. Um, him and Mark Williams ran a lot of pick and rolls, and he was really good at getting downhill and making plays, um, which is not something a lot of guys at his size and age are accustomed to doing. You know, he's 6'10", he's 250, he's pretty athletic, so when a guy like that gets downhill, oftentimes it's easy to get out of control or just to have tunnel vision and to just think shot first, but he was never like that. He was always really uh, adept at making kickouts and dump-offs and things like that, so I think he was already a very advanced passer, and I think Orlando took note of that, and as a result, they've continued to put the ball in his hands. We know Orlando has a handful of guards, but none of them have really panned out yet, seems like, um, and so as a result, I, I think they've sort of just allowed him to sort of take the keys of the offense, and he's He's the primary, I think, initiator of the offense, even when he's not bringing the ball up. You know, I think a lot of the plays don't start until they, the ball gets in his hands. Um, but some cons that I do have, the biggest con right now is his three-point shooting. He's only shooting 25.6% uh, from three. But something that I took note of, I've talked to you guys a little bit about it. I've always felt like Carmelo was a reasonable comp for him, especially young Carmelo. In Carmelo's first four seasons in Denver, he shot 32, 26, 24, and 26% from three. And every year he became substantially better scoring-wise. I think that fourth year where he shot 26.8%, he averaged 28.9 points a game. So he was still phenomenal, and obviously it was um, a different time. The playing styles were different, and you know Paolo will certainly need his jumper sooner rather than later. I don't think he'll have four seasons to be the 20% shooter from behind the arc. But I think his shooting form will come together. His mechanics are great. I just think he'll just need to learn to pick his spots a little bit better. But um, Orlando has, you know, sort of been searching for, you know, their next franchise guy since Dwight Howard left, really. And um, it's great to see. I, I, I think that they've got it in Bancaro. So, so far, I, I think he's been great. He'll just need to continue to work on his jumper. But I think with time and reps and just him getting more comfortable and acclimated to the NBA game, things will come together for him. Yeah, we've we've talked about Paolo a lot, and I think that you summed up his game uh, great there. But he's just going to be a force, and he's going to be a force when it matters, I believe, um, late in regular season into the playoffs, hopefully deep in the playoffs. So um, I think he's got a outstanding career ahead and I think they made the obvious right choice at number one for sure yeah I mean it, you can't really measure it too much not knowing that chat isn't playing um but I think yeah they made the right choice and he's been playing really well his three-point numbers you're right have gone a bit down and that's just with adjustment he's not used to this like just playing dudes every single day so um there's adjustment to be made, but he's been done, done really well and seems pretty clear for Rookie of the Year. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, Jack, it's, uh, your turn for your uh, lottery player. What do you got? Yeah, so um, I was really excited about the Spurs' whole draft class this year. Uh, I was really a big Blake Wesley fan coming out of Notre Dame. 
said that he's been injured this whole year, but uh, I took two of their players. So their lottery pick was Jeremy Sohan. Um, and he was a really, he's an interesting player. Um, he drew some comparisons to Draymond Green as far as his play style. And then, of course, Dennis Rodman, because, uh, you know, he's like a lockdown. He's a defensive specialist. He's got weird hair. <laughs> he's wearing number 10 for the Spurs. So there's a lot of similarities there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's just a really strange player on offense, not in a good or bad way, just kind of unique. Like, he loves the turnaround, like, post-jumper, uh, and he's not very good at it, <laughs> but he loves taking them, and it's fun to watch. Um, I don't know. He has a really unorthodox shot form, uh, but he's not afraid to shoot it, which is interesting. So his offensive game might be a little bit more uh, developed by the time he gets, you know, a few years into the league, you know, just from the sheer confidence and um, – experience but I don't know it's interesting to see how the Spurs use him um they get a lot of action of him like coming off the wing and then just getting momentum towards the basket um cause he's he's just a good finisher around the rim I mean he he put uh Sabonis on a poster the other day I'm not sure if you saw that clip but um he has like a weirdly good handle and like passing vision he doesn't look like he does but he doesn't lose the ball a ton um he can just kind of make the right play with it even if he looks a little bit out of control. So he's just a fun guy to watch, and he's like a the definition of a disruptor on defense. Um, I think he was like top five in um, like rookie steals and like deflections. He w- he might not have been top five, but he was he was up there with Jaden Ivey and A.J. Griffin and those guys. Um, so, I mean, he just gets in passing lanes. He just bothers people. Um, and he's just kind of like a troll on and off the court. Like he was blowing Nurkic a kiss the other day after Nurkic knocked him down, and he – he tagged Sabonis in the video of him dunking on him. So he's just he's just a funny guy. Uh, I didn't know he had an English accent um, until I looked up an interview of him, uh, you know, doing a little bit of research. So he's definitely one of my new favorite players uh, after looking into him a little bit. He's just a weird dude. So I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of his career. Yeah, and we were talking before the show for a while today, but one of the teams we were talking about was the Pelicans and the type of players they bring in. And Sohan reminds me of the type of player that would fit right in in New Orleans, yeah. kind of a guy who can cover yeah. basically any position you throw at him. And uh, he kind of got that swagger too, which is a little bit different mm-hmm. for San Antonio. But, um, yeah, I, I guess they did have Dennis Rodman. You're right. I never even thought about that, the, the hair, the number, the play style. That is a good comp. It, yeah, it I really love, works. I love the Fiesta color hair matching the, the pink yeah, that's teal awesome. and the, the orange. But, yeah, he's a legit like one through five defender which I know it gets thrown around sometimes, especially, you know, for bigger wings and stuff. But, I mean, he moves his feet really well to keep up with guards, and he's got weird, like, bounce on some of his blocks to, like, contest. He, I think he, like, stuffed Gobert at the rim, which is a pretty big size difference there. So it was cool. Yeah, I remember, you know, when they picked him, they picked him at nine. I was a little bit surprised just because there were a handful of guys still on the board that I was interested in, you know, Jalen Williams, Johnny Davis, A.J. Griffin, Tari Eason. Uh, Mark Williams, Jalen Duran. So, but I think one thing about San Antonio is you know they they're obviously great you know when it comes to developing guys. So I, I you know I feel like they're very futuristic in who they choose to draft. They don't choose to draft guys who can come in and contribute right away all of the time. You know they focus a lot on what they can become. And one thing that I thought about was Kawhi. Not to say you know Sohan will end up like Kawhi, but I think. You know, when Kawhi came in, he was very, very raw. Mm-hmm. You know, there were just – his jumper really wasn't put together yet. He could handle the ball a little bit. You know, it was a decent enough playmaker, but offensively nothing had really come together yet. Um, and through, you know, like his work ethic and just San Antonio being patient with him and building with him, um, he was able to develop into a star. But 
I think also, too, Baylor's done a really great job at just producing, I think, tough, hard-nosed players right now. And I think I think we'll start to see a bit of a pipeline, an NBA pipeline uh, from Baylor guys. Maybe not guys who end up being superstars, but guys who will fit within this generation really well just because they'll be able to shoot the ball, they'll be able to defend, and they'll sort of understand the NBA game uh, at a high level. And so... You know, props to Baylor. Obviously, San Antonio is probably able to get a much closer look at him than other teams, just being in the same state. But yeah, I think this was that was a solid pick, and that was a good job on your part, Jack. Yeah, thanks, man. I was surprised. I was really surprised when he went that high. I didn't know if someone else had thrown out a smoke screen that they were going to take him. The Spurs just wanted him that bad. But I don't know. I hope he doesn't get rushed with a young team, a rebuilding team, and he gets to develop like. Kawhi and those other guys, but yeah, he's a fun guy to look into. I listen to Sam Vecini's podcast a lot. I don't know if you guys do uh, the game theory, and he covers a lot of draft stuff. And he was very high on Sohan. So mm-hmm. through listening to that podcast, I wasn't as surprised, but um, he was like one of the only um, draft people I listened to that was that was like gave him like a top seven to ten grade. Mm-hmm. So um, if I hadn't, I would have been shocked too for sure. All right. Josh, I know you have a little theme uh, to your pick, so let's 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 hear about that and hear about your lottery pick. I decided to have some fun with it, so my so my lotto guy is Jalen Williams, currently of the Oklahoma City Thunder, but he played his college ball at Santa Clara, which ties into the theme. So every guy I picked uh, played their college ball at a mid-major. I have a lot of respect for mid-major athletes and coaches, so I tried to keep that theme up. But I I really like Jalen Williams, <laughs> and I think he's really come on hot, especially over the last about 10 days or so, even a little beyond that. Since November 26th, he's averaging over 30 minutes a game, which is more than, you know, it's almost five minutes more than he's averaging on the season, so he's getting more playing time. And he's currently sixth in rookie scoring, but he's the only, he's third in field goal percentage. The only rookies with a higher field goal percentage right now are Walker Kessler, that are playing and statistically eligible, are Jalen Duren and Walker Kessler. Kessler, who's blowing everybody out of the water at over 70, and then Duran at almost 60. He's the only other guy over 50%. You know, it's not Jabari Smith, it's not Ben Caro, it's none of these guys. And Ben Caro, I mean, Ben Caro's phenomenal, but like, Jabari Smith is at 38%, you know, and he's big, you know, big forward. But Williams at 6'6", you know, is 50, 53% from the field. He's getting to the free throw line. He's sixth among rookies in free throw attempts, which I think is nice to see because a lot of times you see the bigger guys get a lot of attempts early, like Ben Carroll's at 8.5 right now, which is, you know, he's killing it. But it's nice to see a guard who's able to get to the line. And I think there's a, a with, especially with OKC and how they're set up. And I'm not, I don't want to get into like, I'm not at all saying he's a better player than Holmgren or SG or anything, but I think there's a real scenario here where he becomes the, Definitely the third, but if not, maybe the second option in this offense. Because I think there's a there's a scenario where Holmgren, especially the way this team is made up, is asked to do a lot on defense, where he might be more comfortable around 17, 18, 19 points a game. Like Evan Mobley kind of. Yeah, maybe a little more scoring than a Mobley, but like because I think Holmgren's better offensively, or at least more polished than Mobley. But that type of impact, where Holmgren's going to be asked to do so much defensively, SGA is going to be who SGA is. I, I think Williams is really a guy that you know, two, three years down the line where you see him just putting up 20, 22 a night next to SGA because you have to worry so much about Holmgren and SGA. Like, both of those guys are generational talents that are going to be able to draw double teams, draw, you know, all these kinds of defensive looks. And Williams is proving to be efficient from 
every level of the defense. He's not shooting great from three, but he's at 30%, and he's taking two and a half games, so he's at least showing confidence to take that shot. I'm not going to hold that against him because 30%, you know, it's it's okay, and there's room for improvement there. He's also already had a double-double where he had 11 assists. So, I mean, he's he's proving that it's not just scoring. He's a very complete offensive player for the age he came in at and, you know, coming out of a smaller school like Santa Clara. So I think I think he has a really bright future, and I, I think he's a sneaky pick to make the all-rookie first team because he's sixth in scoring right now, and I think the the three the top three guys of Bancaro, Matherin, and Ivy are pretty much locks. I mean, they're running away as the, the top three rookies. But I think there's some real, especially with Jabari Smith and a little bit Keegan Murray. I like Murray a lot, but I think especially Smith could fall out of that top five rookies, you know, category. And if Williams is getting the minutes and he's still playing as efficient offensively as we've seen, he's going to be in that conversation. So, and and he took a big jump between year two and year three at Santa Clara. He had some injuries. How old is he right now? Right now, I see when his birthday is actually. He is. Sorry, twenty-one. No, no, you didn't. No, I knew it was close. That's why I see he's twenty-one, but it's two forty-five days. So it'll be twenty-two by the end of the season. Okay. That's why I was checking because I knew it was a little close. He was twenty; he'll be twenty-two by the end of the season. He played three years at Santa Clara, but he had a seven-point jump in points per game between year two and year three. He had some injuries in year two; he didn't play very well. His shooting percentages went up across the board. His points went up by seven a game. His assists doubled, and that's a huge jump for production in college. And he's already paying dividends in the NBA. I mean, they're like I said, they're giving him more minutes, they're trusting him more. And during their recent three-game winning streak. They won by a combined total of 23 points, or 22 points, I should say. He was plus 23 in those games. So, I mean, he's he's paying off. It's not just empty scoring or what you see on sometimes, like, tanky teams or bad teams where guys just fill it up. He's he's contributing to winning in a real way. Yeah. No, I agree. And um, like I said about Sohan, Sam Vecini was another, like, that was another guy Sam Vecini was really high on. So, um, I guess I'm just plugging his podcast all day today but that's another guy he put me onto, and I watch a lot of film of his and I also paid close attention to him um I believe he played in the scrimmages in the combine if I'm not mistaken and a lot of people didn't so I think he had a good showing there too so um props to him and props to the Thunder looking like they're hitting again on another draft pick but um I that's I never really the, the point that you made that when you first started talking about it I was initially disagreeing with was the being top three and scoring on their team but the way you described it I I could definitely see it for sure um just depends on they're gonna have way more picks too so you right, never know yeah. the roster's gonna shake yeah, up they could they could they could have a chance to get Scoot Henderson Wembenyama or one of the Thompson no, twins piston. yeah no he better be <laughs> yeah don't touch him but he's a uh, piston but there's there's still so many that roster is still so far away from competing so but he does he will definitely be a, a player for sure. So I, 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 that was a great insight. I appreciate it. I was really intrigued by him coming out of school just because I remember when he got drafted, seeing the draft profile, you know, he was obviously like a forward, but they talked about how much he brought the ball up the floor and initiated the offense, sort of like the guy that I mentioned, Ben Carroll. Um, and that was really intriguing to me. And I think that's going to serve him well um, in the league just because even if he doesn't, score the ball maybe as much as we anticipate him to. I think he can maybe be a guy that averages 16, 9, and 8, you know, where he's, you know, 
facilitating the ball at a high rate, and he's he's big enough. I'm sure he's going to get a lot of rebounds. But Oklahoma City is really doing a great job, I think, at just building a roster full of guys with size and skill. I mean, they have a really big roster. Like Josh Giddy is six seven, six eight. It might be even. That's another guy. Yeah, Shai's, I, I think what, he's six five. Yeah, really well yeah. next to his. Yeah, Shay's. Yeah, and Shay's pretty big. Um, six four, six five. Uh, so you're running out. Shay, Williams, Giddy, and then what? And Shay's the smallest guy. Yeah, and Shay's right. the smallest <laughs> yeah. guy. And Chet yeah. when he's and then you'll have you thirty on your face any night. And you can throw the fifth guy in as Dort, and Dort is the smallest guy, but he's just going to lock down whoever you need him to lock down. Yeah. yeah. And then you'll have Chet. So I mean, this is a really scary lineup and roster that Oklahoma City's building, but I, he fits the mold of everything that they're trying to do, and I think he'll he'll be invaluable when their roster comes together. Great. Um, all right. Last but not least for the lottery, Manit. I switched. I switched my pick in the okay. middle of the show. Fair um, enough. <laughs> I was going with Sharp, but Shaden Sharp, but I I did a little 180 and decided I'm going to stick with Jaden Ivey, okay, like so. I said at the beginning, um, be a homer. But um, no, oh. Ivey's been pretty good this year. I think that unfor- as unfortunate as the Cade injury was, I think it's really going to allow... Ivy to adjust like K did last year. He's just gonna go feet to the fire. Um and really just <laughs> go out there and like he's gonna have more opportunity, basically. That there's no other way to put it than that. Killian Hayes is playing really well, and I think he's complementing what Ivy can bring. Um, because Killian's been more of a spot up shooter and all of that, and I think that's where he needs to stay. But um I think Ivy's done really well, and as the opportunity grows throughout the season, he keeps getting the same workload that he's been getting. He's only going to get better and only going to adjust more. So I think it works really well for him and the Pistons, as unfortunate as Cade's injury is. Yeah, no, I agree, and he's been just kind of as advertised in terms of his athleticism. He's electric, yeah, um, and his shooting has kind of gone up and down, but. Um, the pressure he can put on the rim is crazy for sure. And now that he's gonna, like you said, he's gonna have the ball in his hands a lot more with Cade, so we're gonna be able to see that. And he's gonna be able to to learn how how to attack these NBA bigs and and uh, people defending the rim, which is definitely invaluable. Um, for sure, you want Cade to get his reps as well. But um, if you're taking the silver lining out of it, it's like you said, Killian and Jaden getting all the getting the yeah. ball in their having the ball in their hands all the time. And I think it's a really big deal for Killian too because he needed a little bit more mm-hmm. de- minutes to develop fully and he's getting that and in that run he's been doing a lot better recently which is really nice to see yeah no he's been he's been I'm tuning into Pistons games to watch three people right now Jaden Jalen and Killian yeah so pretty much and I never thought I would add Killian to that list but <laughs> here we are he's been uh, very fun to watch I'm glad my belief has paid off yeah, I really was hoping he would turn into something in the house. I, mine is definitely wavered, but I know I can't claim to be uh, someone who's been on his bandwagon the entire time. And yeah, AJ AJ's been more optimistic than I <laughs> on this podcast, but uh, yeah, I doesn't mean doesn't make me less happy to see him do great. Um, all right, I, I think we're gonna shift into the non-lottery first-round picks. So now this is kind of the the area where some of us have players who have exceeded expectations, some of us have players who um, 
may not be performing as well. So this will be a little bit more interesting. Also, um, some these are t- a lot of these type of players are players who haven't had as many minutes. So it's gonna be it's a little bit harder to um, kind of kind of uh, analyze how they've been. Mine um, was Marjan Bochamp. He's a six six wing. Uh, played at the G League Ignite last year. Um, he's averaging five point one points, two point nine rebounds, or two two point nine, yeah, two point nine rebounds, and less than half an assist a game. Uh, he was drafted twenty fourth overall to Milwaukee. Uh, he's played in fourteen games and started six of them. Um, like I said, he's a wing, and for his pros, it, he's kind of just a really hardworking player at this point, and he shows flashes, which a lot of young players do but digging more deep into the numbers um, his offensive rebounding percentage um, is quite literally one of the best of any wing in the NBA he's I think he's second his he's he's rebounding six six percent um, of missed shots he is uh, grabbing rebounds like six percent of Milwaukee Bucks missed shots when he's on the court he's grabbing rebounds which is 99th percentile for wings in the NBA um, I forgot I forgot who's higher should have added that, but there's only one player in the league that has a higher um, average. And as a team, the Bucks, a- the Bucks average 7.1 percent more offensive rebounds um, when he's on the floor. So it's it's a pretty big, yeah. That's like 98th percentile that stat. So these are these are like on on cleaning the glass. It's like bright orange when so those stand out to you when you see them if they're bright orange or, or very dark blue. Um, bright orange is very good. Very dark blue is very bad. So that stuck out to me right away. So when I watched the film, it, that's when I, that's why I brought up like he just plays super hard. And then I found out the story I was telling before the sh- the show. I don't know the complete story, but he grew up homeless, and um, kind of had to grind for quite literally every single thing that he has at this at this point. Um, I saw his his draft day when he was drafted. He was one of the most emotional people that got drafted. So um, that shows on the court. Um, his offensive, before I get into his cons, because a lot of his other stats aren't great, but when he's playing well, he looks like a, a good player. His jump shot doesn't look broken. It's not going in at the best rate, but it doesn't look broken. He plays very hard defensively, um, and he's yeah, he's he's a guy that is going to be a fan favorite for the first couple of years of his career. I don't think he's going to be a, a legit like winning player, but I think he'll be um, a fan favorite, and then maybe two, three years down the line, once he uh, irons some things out, I think he could be... A, a starter in this league for sure, but to the cons, there are, I won't touch on all of them, but they are. I will say there were more cons than pros with Marshawn. Um, he is the lowest assist percentage for any wing in the NBA, so um, three point four percent assist percentage is the lowest of any wing. Um, extremely turnover prone. He's twenty percent of the time that he's involved in a play, um, the Bucks are turning it over, which is the second worst among wings in the NBA. So he's a very polarizing player in different aspects um, he's shooting under 46 percent from two and under 30 percent from three and the bucks are nearly eight point eight points per 100 possessions worse with marjan on the floor so uh, that's what i have he's not a winning player right now um and it's it's just the turnovers it's not being a great playmaker um and it's the poor shooting i think that um has been hampering him but he when he gets any plays hard and he's hurt right now so he hasn't gotten that many games like i said he's only played 14 but that's Marjan, and um, I think it's good for him that he's in Milwaukee because it, they're so established and he doesn't need to play. Um, so I think he's in a good spot to to learn from some of the best 
uh, veterans in the league, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis, um, Brooke Lopez. So um, great coach too. So I think that he's in a great spot, great city, and I think that he'll end up being a, a good player. I don't I don't know if I would be as high on him being an NBA starter if he got drafted to say Houston or something um, that that doesn't have that that culture set yet. But I think that he's the type of guy that'll buy all the way in, and and the fans will really like him just like they stuck on to Bobby Portis too. All right, AJ, who's your uh, – unless you got something on Marjan or no? Oh, no. No, you're no. fine. All right, who's your who's your first-round – non-lottery first-round pick? Yeah, so mine is uh, Walker Kessler, um, the big man for the Utah Jazz. Um, he has had, uh, I think, a very interesting uh, trajectory even before come playing, getting to the NBA. He was a five-star recruit, um, grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and committed to North Carolina. Didn't play much at all in his freshman year, didn't log many minutes. And he transferred to Auburn in his sophomore year, played alongside Jabari Smith on that Auburn team that made some noise last season. And he was great, started all 34 games. And he was considered to be a a lottery pick uh, for the majority of the year. It was looking like for a while there that Auburn was going to have two guys in the lottery. Um, And he ended up falling. He was drafted uh, 22nd by Memphis, was traded to Utah. But... So far, um, in 17 minutes per game in the games that he's played, I believe he has played in 27, yeah, he's played in 27 games so far. He's averaging 6.3 points, uh, 6.1 rebounds, uh, just under two blocks per game, 1.9. And he's second on the team in offensive rebounds per game with a 2.3, which I, I think is a pretty big deal. Um, to put it into context, you know, I watch a lot of Pistons games, and I've been amazed at how well Jalen Duran has been able to create extra opportunities on the glass with his offensive rebounds, and he's averaging three rebound, three offensive rebounds per game. So, two point three is a uh, pretty extraordinary for a rookie, I think. Um, he's set, uh, in in the last four games, he's had forty three rebounds. Um, so he's been an absolute monster on the board so far. And in the last five games, he's had 14 blocks. And against Golden State, I believe, a few days ago, I think it was on December 6th, he had five blocks. So that was one thing he was praised for coming out of school. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why he slid, which I, I translate into his translates into his weakness. He's not necessarily your modern-day big man and the fact that he can step out and stretch the floor, but... He's really he's a really good interior presence. He was in college, and um, I think he will be in the league. And so far, he's proven it. But uh, yeah, he, he you know he doesn't shoot the ball particularly well. He's only shooting fifty seven percent from the free throw line. He's not getting many attempts, anyways. But I'd say that's his biggest weakness right now is just being able to create outside of the paint. You know, I think that's the next step for him, developing at the very least a mid-range shot to where he can, you know, be in pick-and-pop situations and just create for himself. Uh, but I really like what he's been able to do just in terms of being able to rebound the ball at a high level and get a lot of blocks. Oftentimes with a lot of guys who come out of college, especially younger guys, uh, finding your footing on defense is incredibly hard. You know, there are a lot of con- defensive concepts that I think a lot of guys just aren't able to grasp or wrap their heads around initially, but he's been able to do it pretty well, I think, for Utah, and he's done it in a a pretty limited role. Like I said, only 17 minutes per game, so 
I really like what I've seen from them so far. I think Utah might have a steal on their hands, and it'll be interesting to see how the rest of his season ends up. But I think at the very least he'll be a productive player on the boards and on defense for a long time, which, as we all know, that can lead to a pretty long career in the NBA if you're good at those two things. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not incredibly surprised, but I was worried about his mobility. Um, yeah. And I didn't know how well he how well he would be able to get um, any shots up, but um, I like you said he's shooting an incredible percentage, so it's uh, it's been pretty pretty impressive. All right, Jack, uh, <laughs> your first round non lottery pick. Yeah, so like I said, I really like this uh, the Spurs draft. I was going somewhere with that um, <laughs> pick, Sohan, and then my. Non-lottery pick was Malachi Branham, who was the uh, 20th pick in this past draft uh, out of Ohio State. So and I got to see a little bit of him uh, in Big Ten play last year because I watched a lot of all of the Michigan State uh, basketball games. Um, but I was like, I don't know. Why don't I really remember him going off? And then I looked up um, Malachi Branham versus MSU, and it turns out he posterized two players hmm. like at the same time. It was actually a crazy dunk. I was like, okay, I, it makes sense why I blocked that out. Um, but I mean, this, these two players kind of like embody what I really love about basketball, which is like hustle plays, which is where you get, what you get with Sohan. And then Branham is just one of those methodical, like slow you down and, uh, score on you in the mid range guys. So, um, I mean, one of his strengths was, you know, in college was his shot. He shot like 40% from three in college. Um, it was making a lot of tough mid range shots and stuff. And that is not translated to the NBA real well yet. He's shooting 32% 32% from the field and 22% from three. Yikes. Yeah, not great, uh, but pretty limited sample size. He's only played 14 games at about like 17 minutes a game. Uh, he's kind of bounced back and forth uh, from the G League, I believe, with the Austin Spurs. So, you know, it's it's a little disappointing to not see his shot come around, but I think that will come with time. That's one of the one of the things that usually, you know, takes a little bit of adjusting for some guys. Um, so I'm not, I'm not too worried. You know, the Spurs team is – pretty bad um so he's he's going to continue to get looks and once he gets it going i think he'll be fine um but he's a really interesting guy i um pre-draft i look at um this instagram account called global nba scouting so shout out to them uh, and they, he does really fantastic like scouting reports and stuff like that um and so something that he noticed about branham coming out of college was his ability to play make out of the pick and roll uh, which is something that the Spurs seem to have picked up on as well because uh, he's gotten like 20% of his minutes at point guard, which is really interesting because he's he's listed as like a 6'5 small forward, so it's a little weird to see him running the one. But, I mean, I have I was uh, scouring Spurs Twitter looking at uh, stuff about Sohan and Branham, and people love him at the point. They think he's like a smart guy. Um, he's third on the team in assisted turnover ratio, which is pretty good. I think he was behind... Trey Jones and oh Devin Vassell yes um so I mean you know there's potential there he's got good vision he's like I said he's a smart guy who you know slow you down um but I think he's just not seeing the floor a lot at this point because the shot's not falling and he's not the best off-ball defender he's got some good size and he's you know athletic enough to be a decent on-ball defender but off-ball he just kind of makes a wrong read sometimes and gets lost um but you know, I I people on Spurs Twitter love him. Uh, shout out Spurs Muse. They said on December 9th he jumped Joe Wieskamp uh, to move up to 295th all time on the Spurs 
scoring leaderboard, which is awesome. That's a huge milestone. It's <laughs> top 300 <laughs> um, with 63 points on the season at that point. Um, so that's great to see. But, yeah, I mean, like, people think he could be their leading scorer, you know, as this team continues to develop, be up there with Devin Vassell and uh, Keldon Johnson if he sticks around. So, you know, there's there's potential there. He's got a really nice-looking shot. It's just not going in. So yeah. I, he's a fun guy to watch. I remember it. Ohio State, he wasn't supposed to be a one-and-done. He yeah. kind of just kept getting better and better and better throughout the year and then took advantage of that opportunity and, and entered the draft. So good for him. And, like, I, I have not watched much. I don't know if I've watched any Malachi Branham this year, so thank you for that update. Yeah. All right. All right. All right, Josh, who do you got next? So my next, my first-round guy who wasn't a lotto pick is David was David Roddy out of Colorado State. And I'm going to be honest. I'm going to lead with this. The three guys that are built like David Roddy that come mm-hmm. to mind. Now, for anyone listening, David Roddy is listed as 6'6", 255 by Memphis. That reminds me of three guys that I've been thinking about. Draymond Green, Kyle Anderson, and Evan Turner. And me. That's fair. <laughs> so four. All, all three of those guys <laughs> were some of the smartest players in the league while they were playing or are still while they're playing. If Roddy can be that, I think Roddy's got a real chance. If Roddy isn't going to be that, I I think this one might be in some trouble because he's not playing particularly well. He's probably playing a little earlier than they wanted because of some injuries and whatnot. But he's got the fourth worst field goal percentage of any qualified rookie, the eighth worst free throw percentage and the seventh worst three-point percentage. So he can't shoot very well on any level, even at the line, which is usually what you look to. If somebody's struggling from three as a young guy, you kind of look towards how they're doing at the line. If they're doing well at the line, well, maybe they, you know, you've know, you got some work on the mechanics, work on the shot selection, whatever, but he's not shooting well at the line. He didn't shoot well at the line in college. Uh, he's not rebounding particularly well. He's only averaging about two rebounds a game in the 18 minutes he's playing. Uh, and I... I hope that this is a case of him playing too early because I do think it is a little early because especially with a guy like him that's kind of like that weird tweener. I think Grant Williams is another guy that's built a little similarly. But Grant Williams got time to season. You know, he didn't wasn't forced into a major role right away. He had time to learn and adapt. That's also, in my opinion, a better organization. But I think Memphis is a pretty good organization. I don't think there's anything wrong with the Grizzlies. I just think Boston's a very, you know, top-level org. But... I hope that this is that's exactly what it is, that he's just playing too early and that that's what it is and he'll get it together because I thought he was very talented at Colorado State. I mean, he averaged 19 and two, 19.2 and then 7.5 rebounds to go along with that with three assists and then a block and a steal on top of that. So he did basically everything on the floor at Colorado State. I see why he was drafted where he was, but he's doing almost none of those things for the Grizzlies right now, which... I also think they're kind of asking him to maybe play a little bit out of position. I think he's probably like firmly a three in the NBA, and they're kind of moving him between the two, three, and four, just again because of injuries and stuff like that. But it, it was this was a tough one to find some positive things. But I, 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 I do think it's a, a symptom of him playing too early because he doesn't really have a role and. They're not really accenting what he was good at in college. They're just kind of asking him to step up for them when they need it, and that's fine. But he's definitely not producing. So, can can I say I I 
I think that it's, in my opinion, it's like a little two things. And I could be proved wrong in a year or two when he gets better. I think that he is a great, great college player and not I don't I never really thought his game would translate all that well to the NBA. And I also think it's the Spurs getting and this is this is just kind of a wild take, but it's my last show, so whatever. I think that they just got it's the Spurs like getting way too confident and too cute because they've hit on all these weird picks. Like Zaire Williams way higher than he should have been last year was good. Um, they picked Jake LaRavia too this year, um, and he. I mean, I don't I actually. I don't even know how well he's been playing, but um, this. Uh, who's uh Santi Aldama is a player for them. Um, Brandon Clark was kind of a weird tweener, and they turned him into a good player. Um, it just seems like they they built their roster around guys who were kind of on the fringes or the margins of a lot of people in in draft circles and. I think they thought they were smarter than everybody on the, with this pick, and they got um, they got too cute, like I said. So, I I I just don't I know, I don't see the path to him. Like you said, I think Grant Williams. You you brought up Grant Williams. I think that's the closest. Um, I think that is the path for him, but I just don't see it. I don't think like I don't think he was ever a good enough shooter. Like Grant Williams, one of the best shooters in the league percentage wise right now. Uh, he's not as strong as Grant Williams. I don't think he'll ever be as good of a defender. But I do, I think that is kind of his ceiling, and I just don't think he'll get there. Yeah, and the the college thing you mentioned about how he was definitely a great college player is kind of what led me to the Evan Turner comparison because they don't really play similarly, but like Evan Turner was an example of that guy because he's six seven, you know, six 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 seven, and he he was at Ohio State that guy that just like Roddy at Colorado State did everything. He was that was stealing a block, high assists, high rebounds, you know, good scoring. But Turner just didn't have an NBA like he had a better NBA career than it kind of looked like he was going to have at first, but. Mm-hmm. You know, I also think he's an incredibly high IQ guy, and that's why I said, like, if, if Roddy can prove to be like any of those four guys we've thrown around, like the Grant Williams, Kyle Anderson, any of the, and be such a high IQ guy that they're irreplaceable in a locker room, I think he'll stick around. But if that's not him, which it's pretty hard to be those guys, like, those guys are very rare. Like, Kyle Anderson, somebody as, as high IQ as, like, a Draymond or Kyle Anderson is, is not just walking through that door every draft class. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm pretty skeptical on Roddy overall. I, I agree with that skepticism for sure. All right, um, Mani, who's your first-round uh, non-lottery pick? A.J. Griffin. I think he's had a really interesting opportunity this year um, with Bogdan going down pretty early, and he's been sort of not able to step into that role, but they've kind of had to force him into the, kind of being like the first, second guy off the bench where that's what Bogdan would be usually. And I think he's performed pretty well in it. Obviously, shooting numbers aren't translating. It's just an adjustment, I feel like. Um, But he's been pretty good defensively, which is something that they have to like a lot. He's had um, more of an impact, honestly, on defense than he has on offense. And I think with time, the jumper should develop. He should be able to add that three-point game that he had a little bit at Duke back and develop into maybe a solid starter. I think it's kind of a log jam there because they have DeJounte and Trey, but he could be a starter on a different team or a solid first guard off the bench here for Atlanta. Yeah, and uh, I think people forget that he's, I think, behind Jalen Dern, he's the youngest, he's the second youngest player in the league because he reclassed at Duke, so technically this should be his um, freshman year in college. So yeah, when you talk about giving him time, he definitely needs that time for sure. And I do, I do agree with you. That jump shot is too pretty to to not start falling because that that was his calling card for sure. 
Yeah. I mean, he's shooting 35% from three right now, which is not terrible, but, like, he can get that up to 38-40, and you're now, like, really shooting and bump those minutes up a little bit, and he's giving you, like, 15 and five off the bench. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think what he's doing in Atlanta is amazing. I mean, for a guy at his age and a guy that only had spent one year in college, um, keep in mind, I think at Duke, too, you know, AJ was another guy that a lot of people were talking about that could have been a lottery guy. But I think the better, bon- the better like Boncaro got last year and Jeremy Roach also had a really nice spring, a really nice March, um, seemed like Griffin sort of started to fade a little bit, didn't get as many touches, his volume went down. And as a result, I think his stock kind of slipped. But, I mean, to be averaging, you know, 10 points in 20 minutes per game, being the second youngest player in the league on a team like Atlanta, which is relatively deep, you know, um, I think that's, you know, pretty amazing. And I, the crazy thing is, is that he's not even shooting well. And like you guys said, that was his calling card coming out of school. So for his biggest strength coming out of school to not even be working in his favor right now and for him to still be playing well and to be you know to have such a big role in the rotation I think it speaks volumes to the kind of player he is at this point but I was telling Jack this the other day I I think Atlanta got a steal with this pick I think they for all intents and purposes I think they got uh, another lottery pick with this guy yeah he's got the upside of I think any of those top five eight guys really when you look at it yeah when, yeah, I mean, when you look at his age and you look at what he's doing, I mean, we're ex- excited in Detroit about Duran. I mean, you could put him in that same conversation where his ceiling is just as high as any other young guy because I, I don't think anybody around the league at this age, well, nobody is, is doing this right now besides Duran. And yeah, no, and I think that if if he was completely healthy throughout all of high school and then I uh, was, um, he he that, that injury kind of lingered over to the beginning of his. Uh, season at Duke and then he kind of just got um, pushed he wasn't the main like he was behind Paolo and Mark Williams really in the kind of the pecking order on that Duke team but if he goes to a different team and he's completely healthy all year he's I think he's for sure a lottery pick and I don't know how he gets drafted Um, but no I agree I think the potential is really there and he has exactly what you need in in the NBA right now is shooting and defense so and he's got that in spades yeah he almost similarly to Cam Reddish and Gary Trent Jr. before him just got a little screwed over by playing at Duke. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Those, all three of those guys yeah. were. I think Gary Trent's a good. You know, Trump. Reddish, yeah. Reddish, Trent. Trent had to grow into it a lot. All, all three of those guys were, you know, high, highly regarded prospects coming out of high school. Yep. Went to Duke. They're supposed to be part of these big threes. They end up the third wheel, and they're all good NBA players. I mean, Reddish took a little longer. Like, I'm not like, but like Trent's very good. Reddish is coming along. Griffin's really popping. Like, yeah, those third guys at Duke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's, it's just a it's just a roster thing. Like when you're playing behind guys like Tatum and Zion and R.J. Barrett and all those guys, like it's it's hard to have have everybody get the ball and everybody get noticed. And mm-hmm. yeah. guys are gonna fall on teams like the Hawks. Like AJ said, they're they're gonna get a steal. Yeah, I hope Reddish goes and gets. Gets a sizable role. I think he will. I know he's too New talented. York, New York's too. not giving him one, but like Sacramento, he could be decent out there. I think um, I think he could fit on a lot of teams. It's just like gonna, Dallas. Da- dude, give Dallas. Give Dallas. Oh my god. Use that. Dallas, Dallas could use him right now. Yeah. See, that's that's a guy Dallas should go after because you go, you get him, and he hits. Like he hits what everybody's been saying he has. Yeah, that's I, your second I, guy right next to Luca. You've been looking for. I would and even if not, he's getting you what twenty and five, maybe 
in a better, bigger role as like a solid number two. Yeah, no, I would love to see that. All right, we're going to roll into the guys who haven't, in most cases, haven't shown much yet or at all in, in my case. But we're going to the second rounders. Um, I'm going to go – I needed to talk some Pistons here. Uh, Gabriel Persida, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, he is an Italian 6'7", 20-year-old wing um, that the Pistons selected 36. He's a draft and stash. He played in Italy last year. Uh, he currently plays in Berlin. Um, couldn't find too many stats. Uh, last year I know he averaged seven points. I think he's averaging a little bit more than that right now, but he's he basically is just a scorer from what I've gathered, a uh, 6'7 shooter, and he's also able to put the ball on the floor um, and get to the rim. And he uses his size very effectively um, in the in overseas that in the the pro league that he's playing in um and he just he is very young and he doesn't get a crazy amount of minutes because he is playing against grown men but he there's an obvious talent and um athleticism gap between him and a lot of players that he's playing against and he takes that to his full advantage he's not afraid of contact and I really like that uh from watching him he exploits a lot of matchups gets to the line a lot and he shoots almost 90% from the line is Shot is beautiful looking. Um, and he's a very good contested shooter from the outside. He had no problem just uh, firing over guys who are who are smaller than him. And he's got long arms and a high release point. And has, it's pretty hard to, to bother that shot. Uh, I saw multiple four-point plays that he hit um, in, the, in the few highlight videos that I, that I watched. Um, one more pro that I have from him is he has, he has a really tight handle and a nice uh, step back. He can either go between the legs, behind the back. He has a lot of... Uh, it looks the moves look similar, but he gets to his spots in different ways. But it just happens so quick; um, it's very tight. And um, I think that he will be. I think he will be a rotation player in the NBA. I don't know if he'll ever be like a a legit starter, but I, with six seven with these skills and that athleticism, I think that it'd be hard. Um, I think it'd be hard to keep him like off the NBA roster um, next year or the year after. So. Um, that'll be really fun to watch. The the cons, and I had to, like I said, I was more like I was more of like a paper scout on the first two. I was looking at numbers a lot, but this is like uh, me actually having trying to watch and uh, use my eyes. But for cons, it's just a lack of film and numbers. Number one, so um, all the videos I could find were highlights, so it's hard to kind of disseminate what he's bad at on the court just from watching those YouTube videos. And I'm sure there's some clips out there I just couldn't find. Um, I didn't see a lot of defensive clips so in my mind I'm thinking he probably isn't the greatest defender or he's lazy on defense or something so I'm I'm as of right now I'm just going to chalk his defense up to being a negative at this point just because I don't I haven't seen that um, on the highlight films and he's able to bully I talked about it, he's able to bully those smaller players overseas and get to the line but I, w- I, I don't think it's impossible that he can do that over here but I'm going to need to see it um, we saw with Killian, um, when he was in France, he was bullying guys. He was getting to the line. Um, he was not afraid of contact. And then still in year three, he's playing well, but he's still, that's kind of the one thing that he still has never been able to do is be assertive and use his size. Cause he is a big guard and he's in proceed as a big wing, um, a big two, three. Um, so if he's able to keep that same intensity, get to the rim, draw fouls, I would love for, uh, for that to happen. I just don't, I'm going to need to see that one to believe it. So that's why I have it in my cons. Um, but yeah, I think that he will be, he will, I think he will play in the Pistons within the next two years. I do believe that to be the case. 
Yeah, I really like this pick when they drafted him. Um, the biggest thing or the biggest concern that I honestly have is I just hope that the Pistons are patient with him and that they give him time. I don't think, you know, there's no use in bringing a guy over here and sitting him for extended periods of time to where he can't get acclimated um, and to where he can't play, you know, because a lot of a lot of guys who are who play in Europe and who are fortunate enough to play professionally have the attitude of, well, if I'm not playing here, I could be home playing, you know, because this isn't America isn't home for a lot of them. So um, one thing, one player that came to my mind uh, after we drafted him was uh, Dario Saric, who spent an extra two years after getting picked in 2014 by the Sixers. He came over in the summer of 2016, and by then he was ready. His rookie year, he averaged 13 points a game. Season after that, he averaged 14. And since then, he's bounced around a little bit. He's also been hurt. Yeah, he has been hurt. Um, And this is the first real season where he hasn't uh, averaged at or around double figures. I think he's averaging like three points a game in Phoenix. But overall, though, he's had a pretty nice career. Um, And so... Yeah, if Persita turns turns in a career like that, I think that's a win at the the 36 pick for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 That's that's huge. Um, Obviously, Sarge was a lottery pick, but still, I, I think it's... You have like it's so important to give guys time to develop and to sort of just prepare for the challenges ahead. You know, playing in the NBA, but film wise, like he, I mean, athletically, he's way ahead of so many guys, which I think will serve him well. Just because a lot of guys, first off, athleticism is I feel like stepping stone to playing in the league. If you're not athletic enough, then you'll probably get weeded out very quickly. So he already has that, um, but. Yeah, I think by just giving them a little more time, I think it, it could serve the Pistons well down the line. Yeah, I'm excited to see him for sure. Um, all right, and with that, AJ, on to your uh, second or second round pick. For sure. So uh, my second round pick was Kennedy Chandler, um, the point guard out of Tennessee. This is another guy. I feel like there were a lot of guys like this. Maybe I just looked at one too many mock drafts. But he was another guy that people were talking about be a lottery pick early yeah, on definitely. um and he slipped even though, but the crazy thing is though is that he had a pretty phenomenal freshman year at uh Tennessee I mean he was the SEC tournament MVP Tennessee won the tournament that year the SEC was really talented last year there was there was a lot of competition um but so far he's averaging 3.4 points per game two and a half assists uh he's only played in 11 games so he hasn't gotten too much time, but um, he had eight points, uh, seven assists, and six rebounds in a win against Atlanta on a December 12th. And before that, on uh, in Miami on December 5th, he had nine points, five assists, and two steals. But So I think, one, I'm really glad that he's on a two-way deal just because I think he'll get some time down in the G League where he'll be able to get a lot of reps and where, you know, he won't get – too accustomed to, you know, riding the bench or anything like that. But the thing that I really like most about Kennedy Chandler is his situation. When he was, uh, I remember seeing a lot of mock drafts where he was uh, pegged to be drafted by the Spurs, and I was actually hoping that they would draft him just because I feel like they're great with player development, and I feel like a lot of their guards have just turned out really well. I think if anybody knows how to take a guy and make him to make him into a good guard, it's Coach Popovich and his staff, but... He ended up getting drafted by Memphis, and I think that situation could be even better just because they obviously have John Morant, who we can learn from on a daily basis, but they also have uh, 
who I believe is arguably, I think, the best point backup point guard in the NBA and Tyus Jones. Um, and I think he'll get to, having those two guys to go up against in practice or just to be able to learn from and, and to talk to on a daily basis, I think that's going to pay major dividends for a guy like him. Um, so once again, you know, kudos to Memphis for going out and getting a guy that I think at the very least had lottery talent last year um, for whatever reason slipped. But um, I, I think in the long in the long run, Kennedy Chandler could end up being a really, really nice point guard. And one thing that I thought about is there have been a handful of great point guards who spent a lot of time just learning for a few years before really taking off. I don't know if you guys remember, but Steve Nash spent two years in Phoenix where he didn't play much at all behind Kevin Johnson and Jason Kidd. Then he was traded to Dallas and, you know, kind of ascended from there. Chauncey Billups was the same way, bounced around for a while, and then spent some time in Minnesota uh, playing under Terrell Brandon, who at the time was like one of the best point guards in the league. And he talked about it, like going to practice with Terrell Brandon, staying late with him, shooting jumpers, watching film with him. It gave him everything that he needed to become a top point guard. And then that summer, the Pistons offered him a contract, and Terrell Brandon was the first guy to tell him, like, you're ready. You've been training with me every single day. You've been watching film. Like, you know what it takes to be great in this league. Go be it now. And, you know, as we know, the rest is history. Not to say, you know, Kennedy Chandler will end up as one of those guys, (laughs) but I just think that getting to see great point guards up close and personal on a daily basis can be huge for a young guy's career. So I think the sky's the limit for him if he's able to just soak in what what Memphis has going on right now and, you know, build on it. Gotcha. Yeah, I haven't... I haven't got to check out too much of Kennedy, so it's good to hear. I'm definitely gonna keep some tabs on him now. Um, um, definitely gonna keep more tabs on him now after hearing all that. The uh, draft pick that was Memphis used to take Kennedy Chandler actually was the Spurs pick. So the Spurs did draft wow. Kennedy Chandler. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Pretty funny. Yes. All right, go yeah, ahead, Jack. Yeah. Um, so I the Spurs didn't have a second round pick, so I had to go <laughs> somewhere else. Um, I was a little disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> but. Um, I, another Big Ten guy I really liked watching uh, last season was Bryce McGowan's out of Nebraska. So yeah. he ended up in Charlotte, uh, the 40th overall pick uh, in the second round. So um, he hasn't gotten a lot of run with the actual Charlotte team. I think he's spent most of his time in Greensboro with their G League team. Uh, so he's played 12 games, uh, not putting up a lot of points, 4-1-1 one, and one pretty much. So, you know, he's just... Giving him some minutes, there's not a lot to like on the Hornets right now. So um, I'm not. Sh- I think he'll start seeing a little bit more opportunity as the season goes. But you know, he's just one of those guys. Um, global NBA scouting that Instagram account I shouted out earlier. Uh, he compared him to Jordan Clarkson, just a little bit taller, uh, listed at six seven, where Jordan Clarkson is six four. Um, he's kind of like I don't know, maybe like a, a Terrence Ross type of guy too. You know, just kind of like a spark plug, flamethrower off the bench. Uh, but he's got some fun highlights. He's a good finisher. And he goes hard to the basket. So, you know, he's just good to watch. Um, uh, they've been running him in a lot of, like, pick and rolls with Kai Jones, which is another young dude for the Hornets who's also fun to watch. So um, he's getting some, you know, like, um, you know, assist opportunities there. He's fourth on the Hornets in assist-to-turnover ratio right behind Mason Plumley. So that's no laughing matter, one of the best playmakers in the league <laughs> at center for the Hornets there. Um, but he's also... He's um, third on the team for three-point percentage. You know, he likes the, the long ball, uh, shooting almost 38%, which is not terrible coming in. Um, and he's second uh, behind in free throw percentage behind Mark Williams, who's only taken, like, three free throws, and he's made them all. So 
Uh, Bryce McGowan's, you know, he's got a lot of signs that he's going to be a pretty good shooter, a decent scorer, you know, just for a while uh, in the Hornets system. So he's just a fun guy, and I'm looking forward to him getting more opportunity, I hope, as the season goes. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter saying that uh, LiAngelo Ball should take his spot, and I hope that that's <laughs> not a conversation that has had in the, the Hornets front office. I like Bryce a lot, uh, and I hope he gets more looks there. But, you know, just a relatively small sample size for right now. Yeah, and I know he was a five-star coming out of high school, so yeah, yeah he for sure has talent. Um, and I, that's interesting. I didn't know he was running pick and roll with with Kai Jones, so that yeah. is, that'll be fun to watch. Big Ten Freshman of the Year. Uh, I don't I, remember. He actually might have been. I think so. I he got a would probably there. be between him and Branham, right? Yeah, yeah. it would have had yeah. to have been. But yeah, I mean, you like rooting for guys. At least I do. Like rooting for guys from Nebraska. Like I don't. <laughs> yeah, I just think it was, it was weird. It was weird when he was a five star at cooking. Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. I, I get a family ties. I forget who he had the a, other. He has one. a sibling that plays. He has a sibling that plays at Nebraska, though, right? Yeah, that's that's what it was. He said a family tie. Yeah, and he had free reign to do basically whatever he wanted on Nebraska. So he was pretty fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. All right, Josh, finish up your. I can I think of the name mid major? Yeah, <laughs> your mid major sure. theme here. So I'm actually really excited to talk about my second round pick because I I I'm personally of the belief that I just get to talk about an extra first round pick here, and why I say that is so the three guys, Jalen Williams, David Roddy, and now Ryan Rollins that I've talked about all mid majors. The two first round picks played three years. Ryan Rollins came out after two. I think that alone is the difference in why he's a second round pick. Now it worked out for him. He's on the Warriors. I don't think there could be a better spot for this guy because this could be the steal of that second round. He had an incredible season last year in the MAC with Toledo, the first place team in the league, where and and this this is honestly I don't know if I've seen this happen before, but so he played thirty minutes a night as a freshman, then thirty two in his sophomore year. His points went up, his fouls went down, his turnovers went down, his blocks and steals went up, his rebounds went up, his assists went up, and every shooting percentage went up, but three point percentage which stayed about the same. It's ridiculous. Uh, you never see somebody. So we got a little better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something like that. Exactly. <laughs> and and it's crazy to to see that. And he's his his. If you want to go to analytics, his defensive rating, personal defensive rating, was ninety five point one, while his offensive was one hundred and fourteen. I mean, this is a guy that can dominate on both ends of the floor. And as somebody with Akron ties myself, I mean, this guy is a beast. And with Akron, you know, our thing was always that he wasn't a very good three-point shooter. Well, he's learning from Stephen Clay now. He's shooting. The only thing he's doing well right now at the NBA level is hitting 38% of his threes. He's only played in nice. seven. He's only played in seven games, and he's hitting his threes. That's the one weakness in this guy's game that you know. And the crazy thing is, is he was an off guard. I mean, they had uh, Ray J. Dennis, a transfer from Boise State, that took over the primary point guard duties that averaged four assists a game himself next to Rollins at 3.6. This guy's 6'4". I mean, he, I I am really high on Rollins. And like I said, I, I think, seriously, if he would have stayed an extra year, he'd be drafted where Roddy was drafted, around there. Because he would definitely be over 20 points a game in his junior season probably averaging somewhere near 20, 20 points, five boards, five assists, something crazy like that with this, you know, almost two steals. That's a first-round pick to me. Now, he's also very young. He's only 20. So, I, I like I said, I don't think, like, it hurts him not coming. I just think it hurts his draft stock. Like, his career, I think, is fine because he, he's with a great coach. 
He's in a great org with two, literally two of the best player mentors for his one glaring weakness. And he wasn't even a bad three-point shooter. He was 31, or 31% sophomore year, 32% his freshman year. That's just not what you want to see from a high-volume scoring guard. You know, you want that probably around 35, 36 is like an average mark. But he's at 37.5 right now. And I see this a lot like because he's going to get a lot of time to season too. And he could have a pop where all of a sudden nobody hears about him, nobody hears about him. And then it's like Gary Payton Jr. where he just pops. He has a really good stretch. And then somebody like Portland or some other team signs him away to give him a real shot. And then Gary Payton Jr. got hurt. But, you know, so we haven't really seen a lot of him in Portland. But that's exactly what happened. You know, he was in that Warriors locker room, learned some things. Now, it's a different player than Rollins, I'd say, but Rollins gets that same experience. He's going to get to sit behind Poole and Clay and Steph. He's going to get opportunities if one of those guys gets down. And the other guys that they've drafted aren't really stepping up. I mean, Moses Moody isn't, you know, really showing that he's going to turn into, like, a very consistent or dominant player. Kaminga and Wiseman might be getting moved. Like, they need some kind of young rotational piece other than Poole who might be moved because are they going to pay all three of those guys big money? Like, there's questions on Poole. Now, Poole's talented enough to be around, but with the questions with the roster and then the age of Stephen Clay, too, like, you got to factor in because, like, those guys are going to have to be replaced at some point. I could see them locking this guy down, you know, on a cheap, long-term, like, prove-it deal, like kind of like what Portland gave Nasir Little and giving him time to really season and down the line him being not not an all-star or anything, but definitely a capable starter because he's got the size and he's already shown that he can dominate on both ends of the floor. Yeah, no, and I – I uh, he was a guy I kind of had my eye on for this the Pistons 36 pick, um, and uh, he's from – I think he's from – is he from Detroit? He's from yeah, Detroit. from Detroit. Yeah, yeah. so hometown, hometown guy if the Pistons would have taken him. But, no, I, I, I think they um, – I didn't realize how much better he got uh, oh, was, year to year, was, so it was wild. that's impressive yeah. for it sure. Was, it was ridiculous. Looking at some of his tape when he was at Toledo and just seeing how, how things have gone with mid-major guys, I think <sighs> if he had stayed a year, maybe senior year, I mean, I think we could have seen a, a C.J. McCollum situation where it, yeah, the team possibly. really needed a guard, like he could have gone, I mean, in the lottery. But kudos to him, though, for deciding to strike while the iron was, you know, high. And, I mean, and just – Leaving now, I, I think first and foremost, he's going to be in an amazing situation, or he is in one, you know, in Golden State. But also, I, I'm I'm kind of glad that he left as opposed to transferring. I feel like a lot of guys just up and leave, you know, after killing it at a mid-major school, and they go somewhere else to try and prove it. But, I mean, I think it's great that he jumped to the league. I mean, because I think, honestly, in some way, shape, or form, I think this is like another – almost like another phase of college, you know, where you just spend a couple years learning. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You're working, you're learning. You're getting paid. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you're on a G League deal where you're still getting reps too. So it's not like you're just not playing at all. Like, I mean, you get to play against guys. And I think I saw he had a triple-double, I think, a couple of days ago in the G League. Um, yeah. Maybe like yeah, a week he's, ago. Yeah, he's he's been – when they move him down, he's been really impressive. He, yeah. Any 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 time he goes against guys that are like comparably around his experience or age level, he dominates. Steph is out for a couple of weeks now, so that could open up. Um, obviously, that sucks. Time. Yeah, that sucks yeah. for Golden State and the entire NBA that Steph's out. But that's a that's a there's gonna be some minutes to be had there. 
Yeah, and I, I I hope he gets to capitalize on that just because he's shown to be really good as a ball handler. And so with Steph out, you know, you might not want to put a guy like Moody in there who's more of a scorer and, you know, you know, or, you know, Poole's going to get the most minutes benefic- you know, as a beneficiary of Steph being out. But, like, behind that, you know, you, they're going to want a guy that can facilitate. And I don't think that's Moody. And if Poole's starting because Steph's out, you know, who is that going to be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I think isn't the most ideal is that, you know, Golden State is trying to win now. Like, yeah. if anyone's trying to win now, it's them. You know, I think if he yeah. were in a situation where, you know, they they weren't as serious about winning every game every night, you know, he would probably be playing substantial yeah. minutes or at least getting, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes a night. But um, hopefully, I mean, he's able to make the most of the opportunities that he gets. I mean, at the very least, he'll get to learn from those guys and he'll get a lot of time in the G League. Oh, for sure. I think Ryan Rollins is a good pick. I'm glad we talked about him. All right, Manny, finish us off here. I went with Andrew Nemhard. Um, he's someone I've been watching for a while when he was on Florida and then transferred to Gonzaga. Um, and now he's kind of starting-ish for the Pacers. He started about half of their games, a little bit more than. Um, in college, he wasn't really bad. It's been about the same role he's been in now where he's like facilitating kind of, but it's a lot more of his defense that stands out. And um, that's what Gonzaga relied on him for, too. He was kind of like a running mate in the backcourt to Jalen Suggs and let Suggs do all of the scoring while he was a really steadfast defender and just locked down the other team's best guard. So he's kind of transitioned into that role really well where he's the second fiddle to another guard, Halley, here in this situation. And he's, again... Not excelled, but he's done really well. He's shooting 47% from the field, 40 from three. Um, The numbers look really good, and he's been performing when they ask him to this season. He's not been bad at all. So I think if he just grows more in that role, he could really step into that second like guard to Halley role and be more of a facilitator as well. Yeah, and I've loved his game. I'm also curious like, how much of it, I do think Nemhard's an NBA player for sure, but how much of it is just Tyrese Halberton being making just making every single person he plays with that much better? I yeah, mean, he's that's, so good. He is so good. He's been really, really good this season. It's yeah, super impressive to watch. And their front office has done a great job. They know they said they didn't want to rebuild; they wanted to retool. So they got they traded Sabonis and got Halberton. Drafted Ben Mad. They got out of the Halberton trade. They got Buddy Heald, who's been a player for them. Um, Jalen Smith, the reclamation project, he plays minutes. Isaiah Jackson. Um, he started every game but two for them, too. Yeah. Jalen Smith. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a lot of guys um, that other teams kind of passed up on. Uh, they've turned into good players. Rick Carlisle's been done a good job with them. He's a great coach. Tyrese Halbert, one of the best point guards in the league right now. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, and I saw Nemhard had a 30-point 30, 30 tennis game two weeks ago, a week yeah. and a half ago. So. It's really impressive for a yeah. guy, like you said, who's calling Carter's defense. He had a game with eight boards, too. Yeah. Somewhere in there, yeah. He's been everywhere. I think it's really interesting, the Rick Carlisle fit with this team. I'd, uh, he's not a like a guy I would see that would fit with this team, even when they hired him. Was it this season or two seasons ago? I think he was there last year. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, it just didn't make too much sense because they were so – it, it was – like he should be with a team that's trying to contend or at least make a playoff run, and the Suns are con- or not the Suns. The Pacers are content just sitting in that eight, nine, ten seed and hanging around. They don't really make that push. So I thought it was interesting, but he's done a really good job there. 
Yeah, no, I think the future is uh, pretty bright in Indiana. Yeah. Well, I think honestly, Carlisle could fit there just because they made it. They've made it known that they're not trying to rebuild. Yeah. Like you said, they're just trying to retool. I think the only thing that's the only thing that's keeping them from contending right now is just the fact that they're a little bit too young. I think Matherin should use another year. Halliburton, I think you know, could use one more year, even though he's already killing it. But I mean, in a few years with this roster. Like I think they're good enough to contend in the East. I just think it's just a matter of time, and these guys get more time with each other. Picking up Aaron Nesmith was also really good for them. Yes, in that yeah. Brogdon trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just got a bunch of guys who are contributing. O'Shea Brissett is underrated player, too underrated role player. Yeah. But Isaiah Jackson's also been doing well. Michigan boy. Yeah, yep. I really like Chris Chris Duarte too. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna I was gonna bring up Duarte because Nemhard actually reminds me a lot of Duarte just from a maturity standpoint. Yeah. like they both like Duarte. Older rookies. I mean, Duarte's been hurt, but when he came in last year, he was so much more polished than yep. a lot of the other rookies yeah. right away. And that's something I've definitely seen with Nemhard is he's he's just a step ahead at this point than a lot of the other rookies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean like. The defense is what is allowing him to make that transition so easily because they trust him on defense. You just got to do what you got to do on offense, stick around, and that's what he's been doing. He's holding his own, but his defense has really been his calling card, and that's what's earned him as much time as he's been getting. Yeah. No, I'm glad that we. I'm also glad that we touched on him, it's, and I think that Indiana's a fun team to talk about. All right, I think that'll do it. It's a little bit of a longer episode today, but um, I think – got a lot of good talking points in a lot of fun um good in-depth uh research it was a lot of fun and for me i just clocking out for the last time pretty much at impact the last thing i'm doing here is so wanted to say thanks to all you guys i mean doing an nba podcast has been literally a dream come true so i know that you guys will take it and do even better than we have so just want to shout out carter and bobby before me um thanks for having me on Thanks for all you guys. Thanks for running at the station. And damn, it's all over. But it's been it's been uh the best decision I made was come here and, and do all this stuff and this is exactly why. This podcast and hanging out with you guys just talking basketball. So I appreciate you guys and thanks for listening. And um yeah, this has been the Courtside Convo on Impact eighty nine FM.